Number eight, Sorry I Was Sleeping, part two. The last we heard of our detective hero, Martin, and his trusty sidekick, Roy, they had solved the case of the blue house in the countryside, owned by the blue family, who had been haunted by a ghost for many years, or so it had seemed, it turned out to be the nasty vet. Martin and Roy had cracked the case, of course, and taken care of it, and now they were back in their home city. They sat and drank their whiskey and discussed the topics of the day, economies, politics, the health system, and immigration. They would often do this to unwind after cracking a major case, but of course, another case was always just around the corner. Martin was going on his morning walk on, on a Sunday, and Roy came along with him. Sometimes they would go separately, and sometimes together, they didn't really mind. But on this occasion, suddenly, a woman burst into tears right in front of them. My God, said Martin, that woman is in danger. We must go and help her immediately. And Roy conceded that this was correct. They ran up to the woman who was named Anne-Marie and asked her what was wrong. Oh, Martin, you're the number one person I really needed to see right now, she said. This is a happy coincidence, but this is not a, a happy time. For you see, my husband has been kidnapped deep within the forests. Martin was instantly taken aback by this, as he had completely not expected that to have been brought up. He thought the woman might have been robbed or something like that, something immediate. But to think a man had been kidnapped in the forest, was this was news to him. Roy piped up. Martin, I think we got our next case. And Martin agreed. They brought the woman back to, to his apartment and they went over the story that she told them. They, they had been married, her and her husband, for 10 years and had been going out every single night to celebrate that week. On the seventh night of the week, they went to their favorite restaurant and ordered two fine steaks. Nothing could possibly go wrong. At least they thought that. Then, on the walk back to their car, a dark figure had approached. He had taken Anne-Marie's husband before she even knew what was going on. It happened so quickly. And then they disappeared into the woods. And of course I could not follow, follow them in there, for that lies beyond the border of man, exclaimed Anne-Marie. This was true. Nobody should ever go into those, those forests outside the city. It was, it was a cut-and-dry rule. Most people in the city obeyed it, and they would stick to the city. But certain absolute scumbags would break the law, break the traditions, and would enter the forests. And there, beyond the borders of man, lurked certain beasts. At least that's what was taught to the people of the towns and cities. And now I, I just don't know what to do said Anne-Marie. She had intended on being married for another decade at least, maybe more. But now, all that hung in the balance. It was in jeopardy, due to the kidnapping. And the worst thing is, I don't even know what the kidnappers want. I'm a wealthy woman. I could give them all the cash in the world that they'd want, they could ever dream of. 
But now they didn't even leave a note. It was mindless taking of my husband. Don't worry, Anne-Marie, said Martin. This is exactly what we do. And Roy looked pretty cool, too. They were a, a pair, such a pair of, of crime fighters. Nothing really fazed them, and particularly after the last mission had gone so well with the blue case. That night they did not sleep too well, though, for even the toughest crime fighters knew that it was very dangerous to leave the city and cross into the unknown borders. The next morning they arose early, for once they had not drank whiskey. They did not want to be hung over for this, even then. And they had some coffees. This gave them certain energy for the day. They took a cab out to the, to the center of the town, and there they could walk towards the edge, for they, had li they lived in the north side. Anne-Marie went with them for moral support and to see them to the edge of the city, she had taken on a, a great fondness for the two, and they became like brothers to her. Oh, I'm so grateful for this, she said. You'll forever be in my thoughts if, this, if you can pull this one off, boys. And they looked at the woods. Several mercenaries would keep, keep guard of the towns and the cities, and they would stand around and make sure nobody crossed the borders. But e even they could not stop every single person who tried. Some youths would occasionally dare each other to go right up to the border and stick an arm into the woods or a leg, and the game was to see how long you could do it before losing a limb. That is so dangerous, said Anne-Marie as she saw one boy attempting it. The fellow lads sniggered and laughed, and they all pulled each other back into the city before anything could possibly happen. But no, no mother would approve of that, no parent. Well, I guess this is it, said Martin to Anne-Marie and Roy, and he grabbed Roy, and without another word, they marched straight past this mercenaries into the forest. Anne-Marie looked after the two brave men, and she could not believe the sacrifice they were about to undertake. The two detectives walked through the forest, and there, they saw tracks of two men. My God, this must be where they went, said Roy, and Martin agreed. They followed on and on, following the tracks which got greater and greater as the forest grew thicker and thicker, and they realized one of the, the tracks was not human. The feet were massive, but there was two feet, and the other had the size shoes of Anne-Marie's husband. Yes, this is definitely them, said Martin. They went as far as they could for the night and set up camp in a clearing. Martin had brought a selection of candles and they set it up around their camp. This, he believed, would keep out any danger. It was an old folk tale, but it was all they could think to do at the time. And it worked. They were safe for the night and had some warmth and light. They had to be careful, though, not to knock the candles over for a fire could break out quite easily. It was so dry in there. The next morning, after a, another good night's sleep, they set out again, and this time they needed to cross at least 50 miles of forest, continuing all the way tracking. Roy had been a scout in his earlier days, so he often took up the lead, 
and would put his head to the ground for clues. Martin was more of a regular detective, but he was the best in the business, and Roy knew this. There is no way Roy could have done this alone, and even Martin knew that he needed Roy as well. They were a fine team. And then, at last, they came to the edge of the forest. Nobody had ever thought that somebody could reach this far, but these two, of anybody, they could do it. There at the edge of the forest, there was a house, but it was it was more like a shed or a shack, kind of like the one from the, the other story. And it was very, very tall, though. That's why it appeared more like a house, but it was in built like a shack. Surely no man can live in there, said Martin, and it would be a horrific crime for one to be taken there. They walked on cautiously, and now, now was the time to put on their cloaks, for they had brought specific cloaks that had been more from the folk tales. They had drawn heavily from folk traditions for this whole quest, for mo modern science and modern technology was no good against the forest. They approached the clearing, and then they became quite close to the shack. And inside was the most disgusting smell. They could even sense it coming out through the boards of the shack. It was coming through. That's how bad it was. Oh, dear God, said Martin, and he pulled his cloak over his face. And Roy did the same thing. If they had not done this, it is quite possible they would have passed out. The smell was that bad. This cannot, can simply not be human, Martin said. They crept around continuously until they found the entrance, but it was a massive door, and they could not open it, even if Roy sat on Martin's shoulders. This is the way it would have to be, as obviously Martin was the taller of the two. And they did attempt to do this, but even reaching at his full extent, and he tried standing on the shoulders too, they could not reach the knob. It was simply too high. We must sleep here again for the night as it is now getting dark, said Martin. And they went back into the, the borderlands of the forest. Again, candles were used and they knew that they would simply have to wait there until something happened. They sat still for the night and watched. And then at 1 a.m., a noise from inside the shack they could hear something, and the door opened. The smell was unbearable, and again, they must have covered them, covered their mouths with their cloaks. It's the only way they could not be sick. Now, Roy, said Martin, make a dash for it. What, me? said Roy. Yes, you can do it. Quick, go. You're the sprightlier of the two of us. Please try. And Roy knew that he, he would have to do it, and this might be the moment that he earned Martin's respect. That was all Roy had really wanted. He had never really planned on being a detective's assistant or anything like that. He was good at being a scout. He would have rather be a scout leader or maybe do something in the army. But he had accidentally fell into this life. The story of how they met was fascinating and maybe told one day in these tales. But for now, he was here in the middle of the jungle. Okay, I'm going to do it, said Roy. 
and he began to run as fast as he could. And out from the door, at that moment, came a giant. It was absolutely ugly in the face. It was so tall that they could barely even see that high up, but it clearly was a very ugly giant. It was a, a type of man, they guessed, but not like a human. It looked like a human, but was so big it could not possibly be. And now the footprints in the forest made sense at last. Of course, it had to be like this, said Martin, kind of ruing that they ever went on this journey. He had done it just for Anne-Marie as a friend, but he resented the woman for sending him on this folly. Even, even he had a moment of doubt at this time, and he questioned whether he and Roy would be able to take down this beast. But Roy was filled with adrenaline. He had never felt anything like this, and he ran. He didn't even notice the giant. He just ran for it. The giant walked off into the trees, casually slinging the door back behind him, but Roy was too quick. He darted in just as it closed, and he was locked inside. Martin sighed. Oh dear, he said. Now what's going to happen? Roy looked around inside the shack. Of course, it was huge. To him. To the giant, it was a regular size room. But Roy could not even see the ceiling. He looked up and it was a, a dim light was coming from the bulb high, high above. It was like a dim star in the distance. So a lot of the room was in darkness to him. But he could see near the back a table leg, and he went and looked. The table leg was actually a stool that the giant would sit on. That was the funny thing. It wasn't even a table. But to small Roy, it sure looked like it. And to his delight, he saw a rope hanging down the side. It was actually spaghetti, but to him, it may as well have been a rope. And he grabbed on and started to climb again. His military training had come in quite handy here. While Martin prayed outside, he was not even a religious man, of course. He was a man of science and a man of the law. But he was getting desperate now, and he really wanted Roy to pull this off, whatever it took. Roy finally, after much climbing, reached the top of the stool, and there in the corner of the stool room, it was like the side, the, the stool was like a room to him. He saw the husband of Anne-Marie, and he had been badly disfigured. He if, he, if the monster that was the giant wasn't a man, then the husband of Anne-Marie was barely more than a man at this point. The giant had cruelly taken off his arms and legs, leaving him a paraplegic. He had also pulled out both eyes and pulled off both ears and he had plugged his nose. The only, the only sense he had left was a sense of touch and he could also talk still slightly. Roy was nearly sick. He nearly got sick in his mouth. It was ghastly. And then the smells made sense. For he looked around, and around the corners of the room were many paraplegic bodies, all taped to the walls, and they were all dead, and the smells were coming from their rotting carcasses. 
Oh, my dear God, said Roy, and he began to weep uncontrollably. It was the saddest scene he had ever seen. But he knew he would have to regain his courage, for Martin was outside praying for him and praying for the mission to succeed, and he wanted to gain his respect at last. He ran to the man and immediately assessed the situation. He knew the only thing he could do was Morse code onto his body, and he prayed to God that the man was educated enough to understand his message. He gingerly tapped on the man's shoulders, what was left of it, and sent a message telling him of Anne-Marie and their chance meeting and how all of this had come to pass. And he, he explained that the bodies around the room were probably the other men who had once crossed into the forest, and that was why nobody should do it. But somebody had clearly brought him here, the giant. Oh, I think I know what's going on, said Roy to himself. The giant must be coming into town, taking people and bringing them back here and eating their limbs and such. And then he is putting them around his room as a, a sick trophy. And that is indeed what was happening. Roy had cracked the case. The man tried to speak, but he was too, too sore all over his body and it hurt so badly that all he could get out were a couple of words of gratitude. And he begged Roy to help him. Don't worry, my man. You're still a man to me. We're here to help. Roy had now become the hero he always wanted to be. He grabbed some of the spaghetti ingeniously and tied the poor, poor husband around his back in a, in a sort of backpack situation. It was perfect. And then he skimmied down back the way he had came. But, of course, there was no way out. Meanwhile, Martin had began to lose hope for he had not seen Roy now in some time and he, he could not foresee how, he'd be, how he would be able to escape. But then a loud crashing through the forest. It was the giant. He was coming back. And this, this was the opportunity they needed. And Martin knew his role had come. He was a great detective mind and he also knew a slight bit of engineering. So he quickly fashioned some sticks into a spear. It was basic tribal technology, but it was, it was all that he could think to do at the time. Why didn't I bring a weapon, he thought, as he fashioned the spear, but this would be good enough. The giant marched back into the clearing. He appeared, and it, it was so revolting that Martin could barely stand to look at him. But he did have to keep looking. The giant approached his shack, put his hand on the knob, and Martin said one last prayer that Roy knew what to do. He opened the door, and at that very moment, two things happened at once. Martin let fly with the spear, and the sharp end went straight into the giant's neck, piercing all the way through to the other side. The giant collapsed with a mighty thud, much like a tree had fallen. And if anybody had been listening or watching nearby, that is exactly what they would have assumed had happened. The other thing to happen simultaneously was that Roy, waiting for his moment, 
now burst free, the husband on his back still attached, and he ran back to Martin's spot, who was in tears of joy to see his best friend, but also his employee he had been paying him. Thank God, Roy, you made it, my good man. And who's this? I, I guess it's the husband. Yes, it is the man we came to rescue. But Martin, there are so many other men in there who have been killed. It, it was really, really terrible in there. Well, I thank you for doing this, said Martin to Roy, and he patted him on the back. You have finally earned my respect, and now we are something approaching equals. This was the greatest compliment Roy had ever heard, although he knew he knew it was just a compliment. He knew it wasn't exactly true. He was still the employee, and Martin was still the boss, and he was paying him good money for this. Well, thanks, he said, stifling his own tears. The man was quickly losing blood and vitals, and they, they marched back through the forest, never stopping. They found their old campsite and kept going. They marched for a day and a night until they reached the borders of the city. There the mercenaries looked in shock as they saw the strange trio coming back out of the woods. Hey, what are you doing in here? Get out, said one of them. But of course, it was far too late for that. And there stood Anne-Marie. She looked at what used to be her husband, wounds now all over her, his body and no limbs or eyes. She instantly regretted sending the men in after her husband, for how could anybody love this? This is what she thought, and she, be she also began to weep, and then so did Martin and Roy. The entire emotion of the whole story hit all three of them. The man on, on his back, who was still tied up in spaghetti, this giant spaghetti, it made quite a funny sight. And he was so exhausted and in pain, he passed out. Here you go, Anne-Marie, said Martin. We've agreed to a, a fine sum of money for this, I believe. And Anne-Marie handed over the cash. It was a large sum. I think you've earned half of this, Martin said. And to Roy's shock, he divided the money 50-50. Maybe we really are equals, Roy thought. The woman took her husband, but it was, it was clear the love had gone from the relationship and she would cruelly leave him on the side of the road at, at a later date. She had taken him home and tried to tend to his wounds, but he was not the same man she had married, and eventually she abandoned him, and, and she married again and lived a happy life in the end, but every now and then she would have a nightmare about that time, which it was a nightmare. Martin and Roy, though, went back to their apartments. The case was closed. They could finally close this case file. It was one of the toughest and strangest mysteries either of them had encountered, but they knew one thing was for sure. There was a giant out there, and they didn't know if he was alive or dead, but they knew that nobody should ever cross into the forest again. The end.